For centuries, people have looked up at the night sky in awe, believing the planets, stars, and moons were not merely distant light shining in the firmament, but rather the eternal source of order in the universe. That if we could hear the music of the spheres, we could act in accordance with that order, rather than struggle uselessly against it. Nowadays, the lights of the city outshine those in the heavens. And that would have been the voice of reporter Carl Kolchak if we had ever seen the 11th episode of The Night Stalker called Ascendant, written by Melissa Blake and Joy Beth Blake, who went on to do things like Heroes. So, hooray. (laughs) So awesome, folks. You remember that show? Oh, wait, you tried to forget it? Never mind. First season was pretty good till that last episode, and it would have been directed by Dan Sackheim. I am Mike White, and I am joined, as always, by Chris Dashew. Much to the chagrin of some of you, I am still here. So, my plastic gray whale friend, let's talk about Ascendant. We're going to talk about a couple episodes of The Night Stalker, which we never saw, though we saw one of them in a different shape and form. Let's clarify, Night Stalker 2005. Night Stalker 2005, yes. Very important. We're talking about what? Ascendant? And then The M Word, which did get adapted. Eventually. Eventually. Rewrote? Yes. Severely. I don't know how you want to classify. I mean, like, it was retooled into an X-Files episode. Severely retooled. But let's talk about our magical disability person when it comes to Ascendant. If there's a magical Negro trope, and I'm not saying this to offend anyone, but magical Negro is kind of offensive, is this the magical retard trope? Yeah, there's got to be a better word for it, but yeah. Magical Negro is not much better. Like, that's mildly offensive, and... The issue with the Ascendant is, is it's pretty goddamn offensive. Yeah. It has not aged well, and I'm not sure it was very on point in 2005 when it was written. We're a few years north. I mean, we're quite a few years north of Rain Man, which really did a lot of damage to the autistic community. We're a little bit farther when it comes to stuff like, what was it, Mercury Rising with uh, Bruce Willis. I mean, there was a whole slate of autism films. There was House of Cards and one other that came out right around the same time. But, uh, I mean, the original title for Mercury Rising was supposed to be Simple Simon. That's how far we came, was that we knew that Simple Simon was not a good name for a movie with a kid who is an autistic person. Well, let's not forget, also, we're three years before what is effectively the biggest piss-taking-out-of version of a mentally handicapped character in a film, which is Ben Stiller as Simple Jack in Tropic Thunder, where they take the entire piss out of the playing a mentally handicapped person for an Oscar. That whole movie just takes the sa- the wind out of the sails of, of anyone ever doing that again. Simple Jack thought he was smart, but rather didn't think he was retarded, so he can't afford to play retarded being a smart actor. Playing a guy who ain't smart but thinks he is, that's tricky. Hats off for of going there. Especially knowing not the Academy is about that shit. About what? Everybody knows you never go full retard. Dustin Hoffman... Ray Man, look retarded, act retarded, not retarded. Count two picks, cheated cards. Autistic, show, not retarded. 
Yeah, got Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump. Slow, yes, retarded, maybe, braces on his legs, but he chomped the pants off next to him and won a ping-pong competition? That ain't retarded. He was a goddamn war hero. Right. You know any retarded war heroes? You don't buy that? That's Sean Penn, 2001, I am saying. Remember? Went for a retard. Went home empty-handed. Never go for a retard. I know people have varying degrees of reaction to Tropic Thunder. I think it's about as subversive as Blazing Saddles was for a lot of reasons. But the whole mentally handicapped character trope kind of died out after Tropic Thunder because they pretty much condemned Hollywood for what is ostensibly people playing mentally handicapped characters. And... And, and they did a good, I mean, again, like I said, I know a lot of people don't like that movie, but they did a good job of essentially pointing the finger at Hollywood and saying, you are essentially playing it up so much that it's unrealistic and that in and of itself is offensive. And in this episode, it's really offensive because he's not acting like an, a functioning autistic person. This is not Temple Grandin. This is like just someone who is autistic. And we're just reading it. I don't even know how it would have been performed. Well, and that's the other thing. The thing, the thing I don't know is I like the the person in my mind that I saw playing the character of George on, in the script was Glenn Fleshler, who plays the villain in the first season of True Detective, and he has that kind of quality to him. But again, in that show, he's playing a mentally disturbed character, not a mentally handicapped character, and so it's just a weird. Th- episode to focus on like a magically handicapped character and it's like okay it doesn't track it's problematic and i know that's like a word that oh every i'm triggered now snowflake yeah every snowflake uses this is problematic but it kind of is and like i don't offend easily i really don't like nothing really offends me and i'm not offended by the script but it just is tone deaf it's very tone deaf and this is a literal magical person this is not at the end they're going to say something that will really you know change the main character's mind or something this really has stuff to do with magic and the cosmos and stuff so let's break it down a little bit we've got george who is working as a bag boy at a local grocery store and when there is, uh, what is it? Steven is the guy. There are two guys, two kind of overweight, balding schlub guys who are shopping at the same time. And George, when he is bagging up this guy's groceries, tells him that he's going to die. And sure enough, the guy dies. He gets killed in the parking lot. But hey, It was the wrong guy who got killed. It was actually a hit that went wrong. The guy that was supposed to be killed is the husband of a woman who was essentially beaten down and paid a hitman $10,000 to kill her husband. He just killed the wrong, fat, overweight, balding man. So it's it's one of those like weird X-Files episodes. They have some of those episodes in the X-Files where it's like a supernatural thing happens, but it's also a fake out because the supernatural thing ends up not really having any bearing on anything it just happens to be occurring at the same time as nefarious things going on and that's a kind of a cop-out and i don't like it and then through what somehow the uh the brother of george gets in the sights of the murderer the hitman basically 
And then George, I mean, I'm really shortening this down. George manages to save the day, but also gets killed. And he joins his parents, who he thinks are in heaven, and somehow has changed fate. And, of course, that really gives Carl quite a little chubby. The big takeaway that I had from this script is it feels just like every other episode of Night Stalker 2005 that we've watched. Stuart Townsend's version of Kolchak comes off just as kind of aloof and bizarre in this script as he is in the show. So it's written pretty well if we're keeping with the tone of what we've seen. But at the same time, it's keeping in tone with what we've seen. And what we've seen wasn't particularly great. It wasn't as bad as, you know, the torch and pitchfork folks on the Coljack Facebook would have you believe. Burn it down. Kill it. It's the monster, the Antichrist. It's not that bad, folks. This script is very much keeping in tone with everything we've seen from Night Stalker 2005. So in that aspect, it's a success. But at the same time, it's also a massive failure because what we've seen up until this point is not great. We got pretty much, I'd say, 50% of this is Kolchak. We get a little bit of Perry, not very much at all. And then just a just a hint, just a hint of Jane McManus in this. And again, I don't think we've got any sort of Vincenzo going on in this one. I didn't see Vincenzo at all, but again, that was another thing we talked about when we were watching the show, is that Vincenzo is not a character. He's there because Vincenzo was a character in the original show. And if we don't have him, Kolchak fans will be upset. You guys are missing the point. (laughs) Putting the horse before the wagon, big time. But again, it was a quick read. It's 63 pages. I would suggest anyone who is a, you know, mildly enjoyed the 2005 show to give it a read. You can find it online with the cursory search. It's not terrible. It's an interesting episode, but again, it's just, it's mildly problematic. None of the characters are really interesting. And the conclusion to the episode is pretty dumb. Like, just generically stupid. They don't even have a... Carl Kolchak voiceover at the end, or else I would try to do that. TBW, to be written. That's right, because there's that there's that last weird page about that has pocket dialogue on it. You know, the whole thing about George is like, I'm going, you know, his parents are waiting for him, is kind of the whole thing. So it's like he's kind of he's kind of fulfilling his purpose. He's stopping his he's stopping the death of his brother, but also he's going to heaven to see his parents. It's it's very mushy, it's very sappy, it's very very saccharine and not great. I wouldn't have been happy had this actually gotten turned into an episode. And yeah, you're right. I think this was included as well as the M word. I think both of these were included on the DVDs of Night Stalker 2005. And then just forensically, there are a lot of revisions in here, but what we're looking at is just a black and white copy. Uh, though the, the front page talks about, you know, you've got your yellow pages, your pink pages, your blue pages, and they're all being written eh, like uh, early part of November 2005. And right around that time is when everything starts to collapse for the Night Stalker, because the last 
two episodes that actually aired. Well, the last episode that aired was November 10th. And then after that, they all started getting dumped onto iTunes one November 17th. And then the last three in February and March of 2006. Not just dumped, Mike. Unceremoniously dumped to iTunes. Thank you. Thank you for the correction. Which takes us to the next script. The M-Word. The M-Word, which... So, we've been complaining. I've been complaining this whole time about the lack of charisma of Stuart Townsend. And I will be frank. I've never seen a movie performance of his or a TV performance that has given me any hope about this guy. Uh, I mostly know him from his horrific performance in a horrific movie, which was the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, where he was uh, Dorian Gray. Didn't give me much hope. And then he was in that, oh, was that horrible um, uh, Aaliyah movie, uh, Queen of the Damned. But yeah, anyway, I, I've never been a fan of Stuart Townsend. And here we have Darren Morgan writing the M word was supposed to be directed by Tony Warmby. So this one, the first draft is written or dated November 11, 2005. And like I said, that's when everything was collapsing on the night stalker. Do you want to try to describe what's going on here? Before I try to explain what's going on, like you mentioned, I think I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this was an X-Files episode from the get go. Cause it's written like one. The charisma that Kolchak has in this episode doesn't feel like Kolchak at all. It feels like Fox Mulder. He's jokey and, like, weirdly humorous. And it's like, what fucking show did you come from? Because this is not 2005 Night Soccer. I mean, was that what was supposed to happen here? Was it supposed to be, we're going to do 11 episodes of this guy being a charisma vacuum and then suddenly we're going to have a joke episode in the middle of this. I mean, when was the first like funny episode of the X-Files? Um, you mean like the first purely comedic episode of the X-Files? Look, the ones that I can think about are like X-Cops, but that didn't happen until much later in the show. Like season seven type late. Like when they were like, you know what, we can just kind of do whatever we want at this point. Like, let's start to kind of experiment with the formula of the show this episode was written by darren morgan who worked on who the x-files who worked on the x-files and who wrote war of the coprophages jose chung's from outer space clyde bruckman's final repose let's just go out on the record and say darren morgan wrote the episodes of the x-files they won emmys for this feels like and i know you know i i'm sorry to put you on the spot but like I don't know if Jose Chung's was the first purely comedic X-Files, but that is the one that always comes to mind when it's like, hey, this is a very funny episode. And that's what this feels like. This feels like Jose Chung circa whatever, 20, 2005. I misspoke. Season three has War of the Coprophages, which is... A humorous episode. Season three also has Clyde Bruckman's, which is funny. So yeah, season three, not season seven. You put me on the spot. I misanswered. I'm correcting myself, not letting anyone else get the chance to do it. Rest assured that I was on the internet within minutes, registering my disgust throughout the world. 
Season three is where Clyde Bruckman and uh, Jose Chung was in that season. I think War of the Coprophages, too. Was it? Okay. So, yeah, all three, and all three written by the same person. And like I said... Uh, and they're widely considered feels- to be some of the best episodes of the show. Just, like, by the fan base. Like, the fan base can agree. Jose Chung's From Outer Space is one of the best, if not the best episode of the show. Clyde Bruckman is one of the best, if not the best episode of the show. You will find people making arguments for both of those episodes, and neither camp is wrong. Because they're fucking amazing episodes. Like, genuinely fantastic standalone pieces of television. And here we are with the same writer and writing this. Maybe they were just going to pull like a weird bait and switch. Maybe everybody the next day at the water cooler would be saying, wow, did you see that episode of Night Stalker last night? You mean that show still on? Well, yeah, it is still on. And last night they did something completely different than they have in any other episode. And it was actually funny or an attempt at being funny that was the the thing about this i don't understand so like you mentioned we did read the script for the m word which they then adapted into Mulder and scully meet the were monster which i like the title the m word a lot i actually think it's really clever it's a little on the nose but at the same time i like it and the issue i have with the script reading through it is because i've seen the episode i was just reading it as Mulder and scully I wasn't reading it as Perry and Kolchak because, again, like you mentioned, it doesn't feel like Perry and Kolchak. It feels like Mulder and Scully. And Darren Morgan, I honestly believe he just couldn't get out of the idea of if you got a male and female lead in a TV show, you couldn't just write them as Mulder and Scully because it's so close in just content of what the show is talking about that it's almost inevitable that you're just not going to write them that way anyways. And you've got McManus, you've got Jane McManus in here who just doesn't feel like he belongs. And then this is the closest I've seen Vincenzo actually be to Vincenzo, which is absolutely bizarre. He's like, you know, chiding Kolchak and kind of goading him on and saying like Kolchak under his breath. And Cotter Smith is a fantastic actor. Go watch Mindhunters, Mindhunter season one. He's fantastic in that show. So I know, and you know if you've seen Mindhunter, that he actually can bring a level of gravitas to a authority figure. And again, they're wasting him in the Night Stalker 2005, but in the script, he's Vincenzo from the original show, updated to 2005. I like the bit where he has crossed out every single line of Kolchak's story in Red Pen. It's great. And he also chides him for using the word monster, because only insane people use the word monster or children. A fairy tale is the only time you should be seeing monster in print. His words in the script. Well, and remember, this is kind of a reaction, too, against the actual producers of the ABC show, because Frank Spotnitz told us way back when, when we did the very first episode of Night Stalker 2005, which was they didn't want Monster of the Week, even though they wanted Monster of the Week, and we were not allowed to use the M-word. So that's where a lot of this stuff comes from, is this is basically making fun of those execs. And it works. Like, you could, it, it, it works. And again, the problem, though, with all of this is when we get to it being adapted for the X-Files, it falls flat. And I don't know what, it's like such a bummer. Because I know you're not a huge fan of the script, 
But I like the script and I think it works, even if, again, it's almost not Kolchak and Perry. I mean, it's not Kolchak and Perry, period. It's not that I'm necessarily a fan of the script or not a fan of the script. It's that I can't see Stuart Townsend doing no, this. No, that's a failure of the script, 100%. I can see Gabrielle Union doing this. I can see Cotter Smith doing this. I can see everybody handling Nick this Manus. role. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I cannot see Stuart Townsend doing this stuff. I mean, he is making fun of his own character. Like, there's a scene where he is doing the Kolchak VO that we have made fun of since day one. And it's him and Jane. And Jane is just like, are you going to keep doing that? And it's Kolchak reading into his pocket-sized tape recorder, which we've never seen him use a pocket-sized tape recorder in this whole thing. Even though it's such a big part of the original show. It is a secondary character of the show. And I was so surprised that the wear monster is wearing the Kolchak, the original seersucker suit outfit, and even tries to hand Kolchak the jacket at the end. Do you want this jacket? But no, he doesn't, you know, he turns it down. So it would have been an even more pointed, like, hey, this is what the original was. This is what you are. And you kind of suck kind of thing. Like you said, the failure is not that it's a bad script. The failure is that it's written for, a, I mean, can you imagine a Terminator film, right? Where the character of the original Terminator, not Terminator T2, the Terminator where it's a horror movie, ostensibly it's a fucking sci-fi horror movie, is that Terminator is written jokey and like quipping with one-liners that like, and I know he has one-liners in the first movie, but I'm talking about like too humorous to be taken seriously because there is a feeling of dread in that first Terminator film with the Terminator being, you know, a six foot eight Austrian man who could break you in half over his fucking leg and, you know, I'll be back, I mean, a lot of that is one-linery, but I'm talking, like, straight-up comedic bits. It doesn't track. And that's the way this feels. It's just oddly against character. It's like if you deep-faked Jim Carrey from Ace Ventura over Arnold from Terminator and kept the movie, everything else was exactly the same, but you've got Ace Ventura doing those those lines and those bits. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's so weird. But again, the weirder aspect of this is when it gets adapted for the X-Files, which did have that kind of humorous, witty interplay between Mulder and Scully, which is the reason any X-Files fan watched the show, even into the 10th and 11th season, which are, again, they have their own problems. You came back for the relationship between Mulder and Scully. And... It somehow doesn't work. It's so weird. So let's talk about Mulder and Scully meet the Wear Monster. And I will say right off the bat, I was very happy to see Tyler the Bean show up, reprising his role as Stoner from the two previous episodes, Quagmire and War of the Coprophages, which I loved when he showed up and stuff. And I love him. I love everything that he's done that I've ever seen him in. I mean, Tucker and Dale is fantastic. I'm, there's a show that I've been touting to you for a long time called Dead Last that I really enjoyed. Really like this guy. Reaper, he was fantastic. Reaper and, is a classic, man. 
he shows up in this and I was just like, okay, this is a nice continuity that this guy is still hanging out in the woods trying to get high. Dude, that's some good crap. <laughs> then it kind of sets the tone as far as this is going to be a jokey episode of the X-Files, which was weird because at that time we we're reviving the show we get to finally wrap up some stuff here. You know, we've got this one last season now that they're doing for us, not knowing that they're going to do a second. Got this one last season. We're going to wrap up stuff. So then suddenly when they do Mulder and Scully meet the Wear monster, it's like, what the fuck you doing, guys? This feels like filler. But here's the thing. Because it's only, what, 10 episodes, it is filler. And the problem is, is if it hadn't been just a limited time engagement or whatever nonsense it was being billed as at the time. And look, I want to say, I don't remember exactly. Like, I'm pretty sure that this, like, broke records for for viewership at Fox. Like, it was insanely successful for them X-Files coming back. And... I think everyone's expectation when it came back with six episodes, not even ten, was that it was going to be this kind of final reveal of the mythos and the myth arc and finishing it out, right? And then they don't do that at all. They actually completely fucking destroy all the goodwill that they had built up, which wasn't very much, to be fair, at the end of the season nine, because season nine is just a... the uh, the mythology the mythology after the syndicate dies at the hands of the alien bounty hunters is where I honestly stop caring about the mythology for the show because then they start going to super soldiers and Noel Roar and even though I love Adam Baldwin and Lucy Lawless is great in her time on the show and I'm sorry if I'm going on an X Files tangent we have to talk about the X Files a little bit and where this shows up in this kind of grand scheme of the show. It shows up in a point where they should not have ever put this episode. It should have been just mythology and talking about their son and the cigarette smoking man and everything else and all these things they should have been focusing on. And instead, they put this episode in, which is an interesting episode, but it's very misplaced in when it aired in the revival of the show. And it would have been okay if it was a better episode. Rice Darby's good. But he's just kind of doing his Flight of the Concords thing. Yeah. I mean, there are moments in here. Hallelujah. I like Shangela. So seeing her in here was pretty good. The whole idea of this hotel that they're at, where the guy, the hotel owner can go behind the walls and and spy on people. And when they're doing like this back and forth time thing, when he spies on Fox Mulder and he's there in that little red like junk holder. I was like, okay, that's funny. That that actually made me laugh. But not very much else. I mean, there are a couple things, like going back to the comedian episode of uh, the Twilight Zone revival, we've got our friend... Kumail Nanjiani, and he is in this episode. You know why he's in this episode, right? No, I don't know why. Okay, so let's pull the casing back on the sausage. We're podcasters. We're talking about Kolchak the Night Stalker, the original show. If we... We're only talking about that show. The 2005 reboot had never happened. And our podcast was so popular that it drummed up interest in Kolchak so much that they rebooted the show. We would be in the show the same way Kumail Nanjiani is in the X-Files. His X-Files podcast. I listened to that podcast because I'm such a fan of the X-Files. I didn't even know who he was at the time. He wasn't Kumail Nanjiani of cast in a fucking Marvel movie like he is now. He was just... 
Kumail Nanjiani, stand-up comedian and massive fan of the X-Files. And his podcast was so wildly popular, coupled with the fact that X-Files was, at the time, on Netflix, one of the most streamed shows that they had. Fox was like, hmm, maybe we could get Mulder and Scully back together for one more ride. And because he was so well-known because of his podcast, and then obviously he transitioned into becoming a much more well-known stand-up comedian and screenwriter, he was given a role in this episode. And he's awful. He's awful. The only thing I like about him, and the only other laugh that I got from this really, was at the end when it is revealed that he's the killer and he's done all these horrible things, which I don't know if that necessarily makes sense with how this episode is structured, but when they're taking him away and he's like, It all started when I was a child. This uncontrollable urge to torture small animals. As I got older, I'm compulsive. Okay, advantage. all right, leave it for the trial. You're right, Mulder. You've seen one serial killer, you've seen them all. But I have a whole speech prepared that I... <laughs> That was about it. And I like that Gillian Anderson, that Dana Scully is going and doing these potentially dangerous things on her own and that she is fine both times. She never becomes a woman in distress. What this episode really reminded me of a lot other than some of the other Darren Morgan episodes is Bad Blood, which was in the fifth season and it had Luke Wilson in it. It's like a almost Rashomon style episode where you've got Mulder recounting his version of the events to Skinner, Scully recounting her events, version of the events to Skinner, and it's like very different. So on one of them, Luke Wilson's like this dashing small town sheriff, and in Mulder's version, he's like a fucking okul yokel hick with like, you know, ridiculous stereotypical hillbilly teeth. That's kind of what this episode veers into at the end. Where it's Rice Darby recounting what happened, like, oh, and then I banged Scully, which I mean, that whole bit is pretty damn funny because Mulder just is like, that didn't happen. And I love this idea that Rice Darby is becoming human and he's the monster. Like, it's so, it's, it's really clever. It, it really is. Like, I think we can agree on how clever it is. And like, the last 10 minutes of the episode are amazing. The final monologue between Mulder and the were monster are are honestly sublime. They're pitch perfect. They're really well written. They honestly, if you're a huge fan of the show, they might even bring a tear to your eye because of, you know, Mulder at this point is very disillusioned and it's kind of like a reaffirmation of his belief in the unexplained. The first time we see him, he's throwing pencils at the I want to believe poster, which we then find out is Scully's, which was interesting. Right. And then his whole one-sided argument that he has with Scully where he keeps countering and like, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say that. And it just the way that that bounces back and forth, that's all stuff that was not in that Kolchak script. And I think that is much better. I think the way the episode was realized was much better than they would have done it as a Kolchak episode because I just don't buy Stuart Townsend. Well, and that relationship's already baked in. And Duchovny... Duchovny's fucking awesome. And Gillian Anderson, she's fucking awesome. So I can see Duchovny. I've seen Duchovny be funny. Duchovny just on Howard Stern is hilarious. I mean, just a plain old interview with David Duchovny. He's a very funny guy, very quick-witted. Just watch Californication. His comedic timing is impeccable. I liked uh, Rice Davies in this. Um, 
the interplay and then how they've got uh, Mulder in front of the Kim Manners uh, gravestone, which was a nice thing since Kim Manners directed a couple of these uh, Darren Morgan episodes. So yeah, that was, it was nice. It was a very nice kind of like homage to those older episodes. But in that time, watching this as part of that package of X-Files episodes, I was like, what the hell is this doing here? This just doesn't fit. Well, and then the the weird thing is, is, you know, obviously, like we mentioned, the X-Files would come back for an 11th limited engagement. And Darren Morgan would write another episode, The Lost Art of Forehead Sweat. Which he also directed. And he directed this one. But it's, again, it's very much that, like, poking fun at the X-Files. Like, that was always the thing that Darren Morgan did that I loved about his episodes, is he deconstructs the show in a way that only he could be successful at doing. And he subverts your expectations in a way that feels earned and it's smart. And it's not like he subverts your expectations by subverting them even more than you thought they could be subverted. And that's why Darren Morgan's episodes were such a joy to watch because when you knew you were, when you sat down and saw that Darren Morgan's name was the writing credit for the episode, you knew it was going to be something special. You knew that it was going to be an episode that was truly going to be great or different or heartfelt in a way that a lot of the other episodes aren't. And like I said, that final back and forth with Mulder at the end of this episode is really heartfelt. And it does kind of hit me down in my heart of like an X-Files fan, like what it means to be a fan of the show or what it means to be a fan of supernatural things and, you know, kind of believing in in metaphysics and the, the, the supernatural and the paranormal. And so it kind of hits me there in a way that I didn't expect it to. But at the same time, it doesn't have any place here. It just doesn't. And that's the unfortunate part. It gets you right in the feels. It, huh? it does. It kind of does in a way that I wasn't expecting the X-Files to. But then you also have the scene with the, with the transgender woman. And that's really not great. It's actually kind of weird. Because it's like 2016 and it's fucking tone deaf. Well, that it was written originally in 2005. I mean, because that doesn't really change. That's pretty close to what that script was. Oh, I, was. I know. And that's the bad part. Well, and then she had a worse name. What was her name? Like Baby Doll or Baby Cat Baby or something? Cat. It was just, and then, yeah, that, that line of the wear monsters, like, she can change from a man to a woman. It's like, oh, it was bad. And then he goes like, Mulder says, no, you have to have your genitals removed. He's like, oh, I'll keep that. Like, did you guys film this thinking this was, like, going to be funny? Because it's kind of cringy. But other than that, I mean, it's a fairly fun episode. But again, like you said, if the ultimate exercise here was to write a episode of Kolchak 2005, boy, <laughs> Failure upon failure, and then failure some more. I can't see it having ever happened. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe we've been completely surprised. We've been like, oh, wow, yeah, that's hilarious. And maybe I'll stick with this uh, Night Stalker reboot. And wow, maybe it'll be fantastic. No. Well, it would have been funny. It would have been interesting. But the problem is, is it wouldn't have made any sense with everything we've seen up until that point. You would have just been like, who the fuck show is this? Like, what show is this all of a sudden? This is not Kolchak. This is... Some other show that's, you know, more expertly written. This is The X-Files. That's what it said. You would have been like, this is just The X-Files. Why don't I just watch that? Just change the channel, because it was still on at the time. X-Files had been off for four years at that point. Oh, my bad. X-Files okay. ended in May 2002, so 
we left it up to y'all, the listeners, about what you wanted us to do for the next show after Kolchak. And obviously, cat's out of the bag because y'all picked it. We're doing Barney Miller. But a lot of y'all mentioned the X-Files. And since this is pretty much going to be my last opportunity to talk about the X-Files on the Kolchak tapes... I do want to say that as a fan of the X-Files, I am one of those conflicted fans who loves the show deeply. It is probably still my favorite show ever to air on television. The interplay between Duchovny and Anderson is sublime. It's perfect. They are, in my mind, a perfectly cast group of characters. You got Walter Skinner, Mitch Pileggi, William B. Davis, the cigarette smoking man. I mean, you know, Crychek. I mean, everything about the show is great. I love it to death. It came out at a perfect time. But it is one of those shows that, like Kolchak, it should never have come back. Even if I didn't like the way it ended, which I didn't, and a lot of fans didn't, it came back and didn't justify its return. What I'm getting at here is the thing that everybody talks about with Kolchak 2005 is that it's not good. But the issue isn't that it's not good. It didn't justify it coming back. It didn't give us a reason to care that it came back. And that's the problem with all of these reboots or returns of shows. I mean, that's like so popular now is you have to give the people a reason to want to watch more of the show outside of just getting to see the characters again. And with Kolchak, they didn't do enough to justify it. And like the X-Files, those two seasons, they didn't do enough to justify it. And honestly, they did more harm than good to the mythology. So off my soapbox, stored underneath the table, that's the last top time i'm talking about the x-files on this podcast oh i'm sure you'll find a way to work it in over the next (laughs) couple weeks i can't there's no way i i'm done what happens if you bring it up over the next couple episodes where we're wrapping up the original it'll be a passing mention but it won't be that (laughs) it will be that was me i mean because that whole thing with the were monster like it really is indicative of Kolchak 2005 and the X-Files return as well, because they're inexorably linked now because that was originally going to be a Kolchak episode. That's why Bryce Davies is wearing that Kolchak outfit. That's why he is dressed like that, even though the original wear monster would have been dressed like that. That just doesn't make sense. Sure. I mean, again, it was kind of taking the piss out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the original script was, but then... Like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the X-Files episode other than, like, if you were sly enough to catch on that this was originally a Kolchak episode. Yeah, because otherwise you would have been like, well, why is he dressed like that? And that's why I was saying it. Unless it's like, oh, well, Kolchak influenced the X-Files, which obviously it did. But yeah, before I knew that this was originally an episode of Night Stalker 2005, I had no idea why he was dressed like that. And that's and that is again a weird thing about the way that the script got made and then re-edited into a X Files episode. It's like some weird idiosyncrasies stuck around that don't work anymore, like him being dressed up like Kolchak. And it's like so. I mean, again, for us, it's iconic, and for a certain generation, it's iconic. But another generation, of people will be like, "Why the fuck is he dressed like this? He's dressed like us, a reporter from the '70s. Why?" Yeah, next month we will be back with our, well, it's not our final episode of the show. We still have a couple more after that, but our, our final discussion of an actual episode of Kolchak, The Sentry. And after that, we will do a couple more episodes where we talk about things like 
Kolchak and other mediums. Um, you know, he appeared in a form in a tomb of Dracula. There's a whole series of books, comics, all kinds of stuff. And if those fine folks over at Moonstone publishing want to finally fucking get back to us, maybe we'll have an interview with them and maybe we'll try to help, uh, you know, pimp some of their books. Kolchak, the character of original Kolchak, Darren McGavin's Kolchak has been lovingly kept alive by a fair number of people. And to you, I say thank you for keeping the character alive because the 2005 show didn't do a very good job of doing it. No. No, nobody's doing fan fiction about the Stuart Townsend version. Uh, again, with with the overwhelming response that we've gotten from the Kolchak fan pages, they don't even want us to talk about it. <laughs> so, sorry. Sorry, but we did. But we did. We got we to gotta do our due diligence, as they would say, and give it all a fair shake. And that's why we sprinkled these throughout, because I think we kind of would have gone crazy had we just concentrated on the 2005. Can you imagine doing a podcast on just the 2005? It's almost like it would be just a one-season show. That'd be kind of nuts. So, Chris, what are you up to these days? So, I actually run a podcast called The One Season Show with my good friend Jess Byard. Her and I talk about shows that only lasted one season. Uh, If we hadn't done Kolchak, The Night Stalker, or the original show... On this, we probably would have done it there. So I do that with her. And then I also have my own podcast called The Culture Cast, where I talk about movies once to twice a week, depending on if a new movie has come out of value. We just did an episode on It, Chapter 2, which I heard is Mike's new favorite film of all time, best horror movie ever written. And I also do a podcast with you and our good friend Father Malone called Dreams for Sale. And I do a podcast with him called Chronicles from the Crypt about shockingly tales from the crypt so that is what i do when i'm not here what about you mike what do you do when you're not here i uh like to go to uh the the range and do target practice you like movies about gladiators oh billy do i ever (laughs) and yeah then i do a podcast called the projection booth which you can find at projectionboothpodcast.com where every episode we're looking at a different movie which most of the time you haven't heard of sorry So big thanks to John Walker for providing our theme music. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. Stick with us over these next few episodes. And then return to this feed for listening to our whole discussion of Barney Miller. And thank you, by the way, for everybody who actually knows who Chris and Mike are on our Facebook group. Boy, what a weird, what a weird conversation that was. Whoa. <laughs> Who are Chris and Mike? Oh, God. I feel that I can say whatever I want to about that guy, because I don't think he's listening to the podcast. You know, I think that's a safe bet, considering how, you know, he asked who Chris and Mike are. Sometimes I wonder who we are, Chris. Sometimes I wonder, deep in our hearts, who are we really? Sometimes I look up in the night sky and I see the stars and I wonder, are those just blinking gases of light or is there more in this universe? 